Okay, so this weekend I'm starting a brand new series called Locally Owned and Operated. And so for the next several weeks, we're just going to, we're going to take time and we're going to begin looking at the local church and what God says about the church and, and to see if our definition of what makes a great church and God's definition of what makes a church, great church and just make sure that lines up. I think ever so often we need to do that. And so the sermon series is called Locally Owned and Operated. Uh, the title of this message is, It's All About the Groom. And so if you know anything about uh, some analogies or some symbols that are in Scripture is this, is that, that God says that, that we, the church, were his bride and Jesus is the groom. And so we're going to talk this morning about, about it. It's just all about the groom. Now listen, as a pastor, I've done like literally hundreds uh, of weddings. I mean, there was, a, there, was, there was one year that I did well over 30 weddings in a year, 20-something to 30 weddings in a year, which meant there were some Saturdays I was doing like two weddings. I'd leave one and go to another wedding, and, and uh, it was just crazy times. But anyway, so I've done a lot of weddings, and I have a lot of experience with weddings and meeting with couples and planning weddings and, and being a part of weddings. And so about, something about Western culture, and you probably know this, but Western culture, our culture is this, that a wedding, guess what? It's all about the bride, right? I mean, it is all about the bride. And so a lot of times when younger couples are meeting with me and they're trying to plan the wedding, if the groom starts whining and complaining about the wedding, I'm like, buddy, it is not for you, right? I mean, I mean he's talking about colors and decorations and flowers and all this other stuff. And I'm like, it's, it's not for you. I mean, it, the, the wedding, it is all about the bride, and I can prove it to you when you just start thinking about a wedding. I mean, think about a wedding. A bride gets a really expensive white flowing dress, and everybody's showing up to see the bride and see what she's wearing. When the bride enters the room, special music, right? She gets her own song. And fact is, when she enters the room, people just don't stay seated. People stand up in her honor. And she makes her way because why? Because it's all about the bride. And, and, and you know, i got to tell you, after doing hundreds of, of, of weddings, you know who I feel sorry for? I feel sorry for the groom. Because the groom is like an afterthought. The groom is like, is like he's like this afterthought. I mean, he's like the warm-up act before the main attraction. And so the groom will enter, like if you do it here, enters through a side door. If you do outdoor weddings, still the same thing. The groom kind of comes in the side door to the side of an outdoor wedding with the pastor, doesn't get his own music, uh, doesn't get a special song. Fact is, the only person that knows the groom's really in the room is his mother. Nobody else really knows because they're there for the bride. And then you know the crazy thing? You know what the groom is wearing? A rented tux that some other groom next Saturday is going to be wearing. So he doesn't even get anything special to wear. And so when you look at this issue of the wedding, listen, guys, I'm just telling you, if you're engaged or you're looking to get married, it is not about you, right? I mean, because... Uh, the bride from this high up, she's, all she's been doing is think about that day, that wedding, Ken and Barbie weddings, you know, when she's a kid and she's been acting it out and the whole deal. So Western culture wedding, all about, it's all about, it's all about the bride. In scripture, the scriptures show this and they say that in God's economy, it's all about the groom. And the bride is the church. The bride are the Christians. And that in his economy, it's all about the groom. And in case anybody was wondering where the priority should be in church or where the priority should be in the Christian life, 
John the Baptist shows up, and, and, and we're going to look at a couple of scriptures briefly, and then we're going to get to Revelation chapter 2, and then Isaiah chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, your electronic devices, we're going to live in Revelation chapter 2, Isaiah 6. But before we get there, we're going to look at a couple of scriptures so we just settle this argument and settle this discussion. John the Baptist shows up, and John the Baptist basically helps us understand who the priority is in church. Verse 29, John chapter 3, the scripture says, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Huge statement. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, the, this joy of mine is now complete. Watch this. He, the groom, Jesus, he must increase and I must decrease. In other words, what he's saying? He's saying the bride belongs to the groom. Not the groom belongs to the bride. But the bride, the church belongs to the groom. And so this is a huge statement. I and mean, this, this has huge implications for us. It has huge implications for us in how, how we, we view the church and how we view the, gener- uh, the, ch- the church and, and this generation. Because with capitalism and consumerism, a lot of times we view church very differently than how God views churches. See, what, ha- what is happening now, because of capitalism and because of com- consumerism, people are beginning to believe, or maybe in many churches, it is all about the bride. The priority in many churches, you know, it's just all about the bride. It's all about me. It's all about how the service benefits me. It's all about my likes, my preferences, what I get. And so it's all about that. But when you look at Scripture, John says the bride belongs to the groom. After doing a lot of weddings, I mean, it is a great thing in a pastor's life when, when someone hires a wedding coordinator. And her whole job and goal is to coordinate and to assist the bride and the groom so that their special day is a special day of celebration and a meaningful event. And no wedding coordinator worth their salt would ever steal the spotlight from the bride or from the groom. And Jesus said this about that, John chapter 17, verse 24. He said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you love me before the foundations of the world. So what Jesus says, you know what? Nothing should ever block the bride's view of the groom's glory. And so in a healthy church, Jesus Christ is the most famous person. When things get unhealthy in denominations, when things get unhealthy in religion, when things get unhealthy in church, is when the bride begins to steal the spotlight of the groom. I want to talk to you, and we're going to use some theological terms this morning. We'll help you understand that. I want to, I want to talk to you about the local church, and I want to talk to you about what is, what is the church, and maybe what, 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 what should, should we expect from the church? Our, our mission statement here is connecting God, people, and community. And we believe here at Fellowship of the Rockies that A church that understands that, a church that understands it's all about the groom, can actually reach a county and can actually reach a city. In fact, is we're really serious about a community coming to know Christ and their lives being transformed. And maybe another question is, what makes a strong church? Because I believe this is if if we took the time and we did a survey this morning, we all want to be a part of an exciting, strong church, right? Nobody says, hey, sign me up for the lukewarm church. Sign me up for the boring church. Sign me up for the church that is like plateaued, not growing, dying, 
fighting, business meetings, all this other stuff, and to where the church has declined. You know what? I think this. I think that if we did surveys this morning, we would all say, you know what? Sign me up for the strong church. Sign me up for the exciting church. And so Fellowship of the Rockies is a local body of believers that fit into the church, capital T, capital C, the universal church. And I want you to know this morning that what makes a great church is to be able to define a great church by the way Jesus defines the church. And so what makes a great church experience? I mean, when you come to church, what is it that makes it a great experience? Because sadly today, because of capitalism and consumerism, so many people define out a great church by the way it benefits them or the way it meets their needs. And so many times a lot of people judge a church based upon some external things. And they base it upon like, like boy, you know what, we, we like that church because uh, the parking. I mean, the parking, it's easy to get in and out of and there's plenty of parking. And, and uh, we like to come into a church and, and we like soft seats and comfortable seating and, and we like a church children's ministry and you know we'd really like it if if at the end of they always gave the kids prizes and t-shirts and all that other stuff and and uh, we like we like the music the way we want it we like the sermon listen we want the sermon to make us feel something not do something we don't want the sermon to make us feel uncomfortable anything like that oh and 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 I and I want you to sing songs that make you feel something because guess what I'm not singing with you because it's not about me worshiping it's about me feeling something it's about me it's about me watching something and, and, oh, and I want you to get this done in like a timely manner. And so here's the problem. A lot of times our idea of what it makes up a great church and God's idea doesn't line up. And when it doesn't line up, that's just a bad thing. And so in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 2, Jesus comes on the scene. And he visits seven churches and he writes letters to these seven churches. In other words, what he does is, is he, he gives them a progress report. He gives them a, uh, he gives them a report card of, of how well they're doing. And when he evaluates the church, he doesn't evaluate the church a lot of the ways. What's so shocking, he doesn't evaluate the church a lot of the ways that we evaluate the church. I mean, he doesn't evaluate Fellowship of the Rockies by saying, you know what, guys, I, I visited you guys last week. Love the parking. I love it that Kmart's out of business, and so we, you got plenty of parking. I mean, it was easy to get in and out of. Came into the church with some friendly people. Loved the Welcome Center. Coffee, excellent coffee. You guys are doing awesome. And I love what you're doing with the place. I heard that this was once a four-screen movie theater. I loved how you came in and you renovated it. Oh, and the theater over there? What a touch. I mean, the video screens and the sound and the coffee bar. Loved the electronic fireplace. Just nice touch. Went into the children's ministry. It was friendly and clean. And, and they were, they, I mean, they were giving kids prizes for scripture memory and all this other stuff. And I came into the, the, the church, soft, comfortable seatings with cup holders. Never seen that before. That was like, that was like awesome. And then, then there was good teaching and there was like, like, like good music. And so Fellowship of the Rockies, great job, awesome job. Now listen, that may seem a little silly. But I want you to get this, and I want you to understand this, because the root of the problem is this. I believe in church, that if we, don't, if we don't define church success the same way that God defines church success, then we risk living our entire life missing the heart of God. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to miss that. I don't want to spend my whole life missing the, the heart of God and and, and what he says about, about the church. And man, if we're the body and, or the bride of Christ and he's the groom, then 
Don't you want to know what he says about the groom? I mean, the groom says about the bride. Revelation chapter 2, verse 1. And listen, uh, it, we'll walk through this. I know a lot of people, whenever you mention the book of Revelation, oh, no, nobody can understand that book. Watch this. Verse 1, to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven, among the seven golden lampstands. So stop right there, just so we're tracking. Now listen, I, I understand the book of Revelation, the reason it's confusing to a lot of people is image and, and symbols. Uh, but but here's, here's the great thing, and where, where a lot of people miss it in the book of Revelation is, they think it's up to them to define out what the image is or what the symbols are, and that's why they get a lot of weird theology and a lot of weird stuff that just kind of creeps out everybody, and you wonder, where did they get that from? The great thing about the Bible is, if you allow the Bible to speak, the Bible will speak, and the best commentary of Scripture is, is Scripture itself. And so... We don't have time to go through the whole book and, and understand this, but, but, but guess what? The book of Revelation gives us what these symbols mean. So to the angel of the church in Ephesus, write these words, who hold the seven stars in his right hand. Okay, The seven stars were the seven angels, one angel per church. So that's who the seven stars were in his right hand who walks among the seven golden lampstands. The seven golden lampstands goes back to the Old Testament, goes back to the tabernacle, and a lampstand was a symbol of a local body of believers. The lampstand was the seven churches. The seven stars uh, were the seven angels. The, the lampstands were the seven churches. Oh, and the one, the statement that says, who walks among the seven golden lampstands, that's Jesus. And what he's saying, I walked in and out and through your church, and guess what? He's here today. He's here today walking, walking through our church. He's here with us. And so the question is, 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 what does he see? What does he hear? And what does he think? Now listen, if you're really a part of this body, if you're really bought into this, then this, this sermon is, has, is like huge for you, for us to understand as a body what makes a great church. So only one point, and the only reason we have one point this morning is so you couldn't say this sermon is pointless because I really just struggled and just want to do this in narrative. But I said, someone's going to walk away and say, well, there, there was no point. There's like no point to the sermon. So here's the point. I've already said it first thing. What makes a great church is this. Jesus Christ is the priority. One thing. In other words, Jesus is the most famous person. It, not the denomination. Not the pomp and circumstance. Not any of that. Jesus was, was, was the most important person. And this isn't something that you, you put on the wall. This isn't something you put in a mission statement. This is something that is lived out by actions and deeds and words. Because here's the deal. And it, if Jesus isn't the priority of the local church, then guess what? God's manifested presence will not show up. If he's not the priority... If he is not the priority, guess what? If he's not the priority in your personal life, if he is not the priority in church, then his manifested present will not show up. Could God show, listen, God shows up where his son is a priority. God shows up when, when a church worships his son appropriately. So you may be, you, I may have lost you. You may say, well, wait a minute. I don't know that I've ever heard that word in church before. What is the manifested presence of God? That sounds weird to me. All right. The manifested presence of God is just simply this. It's when, it's when God shows up. It's when God reveals himself in a dramatic way. It's when God takes the lid off. It's, it's, it's this. It's when you are aware, when you are really aware, God is in the room. Now, 
theologians will talk about the omnipresence of God. So there's the omnipresence of God. There's a manifested presence of God. The omnipresence of God is God is everywhere. God is everywhere. God is always with us. The manifested presence of God is when you become aware that he's in the room. When he does something, he reveals himself to you. The, the best way that I can explain this is with the illustration of air. Air is always with us, right? Air is always around us, but there are some times that we are more aware of the air than other times, right? It's like Friday, Karen and I, my wife, drove up to Colorado Springs to, to hang out with our perfect grandkids. And, uh, and so on our way up, we were really aware of the air. Fact is, there were wind gusts to 45, 50 miles an hour. See, the air is always with us, but there's times that we're more aware of the air than other times. It's, um, it's like Saturday when we, were, we, we left Colorado Springs and headed back, so we got here in time for church, and, and uh, there was that fog, there was that moisture in the air, and it was, it was like the air was revealing itself to us. It was all of a sudden, we were really, really aware. See, the air is always with us, but there's times when we're more aware of the air than others, and guess what? The omnipresence of God, God's always with us. Scripture says he's ever-present. He's always with us. He's always there. But there are those times when the manifested presence of God just shows up. And you just know. And you say, well, wait a minute, where's that in Scripture? I don't know if I've ever been taught this. Well, it's all the way through the book of Acts and uh, the illustration that I've chosen for us to walk through because it just illustrates and helps us understand the three things that every church needs or three things that has to happen in a church for a church to be a church is in Isaiah chapter 6. It's in the Old Testament. Here's what the Scripture says. Uh, Isaiah is going to church. He's in a worship service. Now look what happens. In the year that King Uzziah die, died, I saw the Lord. Manifested presence of God. God revealing himself to Isaiah. Isaiah says, I know he's here. God's always with me, but today I know he's here. Sitting on throne, high and lifted up. Okay, so all of a sudden he realized God is high and lifted up. God is over me. I am not over him. I submit to God. God doesn't submit to me. And so God is this God that's high and lifted up above all gods, above all people. And so all of a sudden, Isaiah has this moment. And he says, And the train of his robe filled the, the, the temple. And, stood, and, and above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. And with two he flew. One called to the other, and he said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. So they're in worship. They're singing. The whole earth is full of its glory, and the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house filled with smoke. Okay, we'll give you three things before we take communion together as a church family about what a church is and what makes up a church definition of a church. The first thing is this. A church is a place where there is a connection. A church is a place where there's a connection. In other words, a church is a place where we, we connect God, listen, connect to God. Listen, let me tell you something. If you just hear good music this morning and, and, and you, hear, you hear a sermon and you don't connect to God, you didn't go to church. If you come and you hear some songs and you hear a sermon, but there was no connection to God, Telling you, you didn't go to church. See, what sets the church apart from any other, op any other organization is this, is that we're able to connect to God. And it's so deep that, listen, and this, this connection, this can happen in a lot of different periods and a lot of different times in your life. 
This connection can happen in church. This connection can happen when you life journal and you're reading scripture on your own and all of a sudden you come to a verse and you go, that verse is for me. I cannot believe this. That applies to what I'm going through. That applies to my situation. That's why the daily of reading scripture is so important. That connection can happen then. That connection can happen when you're streaming uh, worship music, whether it's Pandora or your iTunes radio or or a worship CD, and you're driving in your car, and you say, that song just speaks those words. I just, I know God is is with me. I've I've watched it happen a lot of times. It's happened in hospitals to where people are going through a difficult time, and all of a sudden they just know God showed up, and God is revealing himself to me. I've I've watched it happen in in, in life groups. Karen and I are part of a life group, and, and we We've walked away from life groups on some night and says, you know what? There was just something different about tonight. It was just like God was here and it was just like God met with us. And that's why it's so important for everybody to be in a life group. And we're kicking off a bunch of new life groups and, and there's still time for you to get in. You can go to a website, mark that on a connect card. We'd love to help you. But this, this life group, it, it can help you when a friend, call, I mean, this connection can happen when a, when a friend calls you and says, you know what? You've just been on my heart. Are you okay? You know, how did you know? I didn't tell anyone. I mean, how did you know? It can happen when you're going through a difficult time. And you just know that all of a sudden you know that God's there. Isaiah in church, he's making a connection to God. See, church is becoming aware of the presence of God. That's what church is. I, I think church is a place when we steward him corporately and we worship him corporately and we can see others involved in worship to where we, we start learning. That's the presence of God. And when you come to church, and whether it's somewhere in a song or something the worship leader has said or something scripture that's read or a point in the sermon, and all of a sudden you just become aware of the presence of God, and God is God is everywhere. But church, when church happens, when we become aware of his presence, Isaiah 6.1, Isaiah says, I saw the Lord. That, that like marked him. And I saw the Lord, and I saw him sitting on the throne. And See, that's the manifested presence of God. And, and, and God was there all, all, all along and all the time. But all of a sudden, you start revealing himself to Isaiah, pouring himself out. Listen, let me tell you something. Just, just so you know, we're all tracking. Church is not about us putting on God on display for you. Church is not about us exhibiting God. It's about you experiencing God. Church is a place where they're like this, 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 this connection. And so, and so we're not putting on a show. What we're doing is we're setting up an atmosphere so people can come into the presence of God and hear from him. To where no longer, if, no matter if someone comes to our church and, and, and they're not a Christian. Whether they're not a Christian, they come into this church. Or, or they're a new Christian, they've been a Christian 5 or 10 or 15, 20 years, 40 years. That everybody would walk out and say, surely the Lord was in that place. We have story after story what's happened when people have come in this place. They've stepped into the foyer, they've stepped into the front door. And they say, you know, we don't know what happened, we just sensed something. We just sense God's in this place. We just sense there's a difference. We just sense that God is in this place. I mean, our goal is, is we want every person not to just come and, and watch a show or watch a performance. 
Because it's not about exhibiting God. It is about experiencing God to where you know personally that God is in this room. The second thing that must be present for there to be church, uh, the first thing is there has to be a connection. But the second thing is there has to be a conversation. I mean, Isaiah begins having a conversation with God. God initiated. God begins having a conversation with Isaiah. Isaiah begins having a conversation with, with, with God, and, and he began to sense his, his presence. And so that's church. Listen, church, if, if you come to church and there is not a connection to God and you are not having a conversation to God, you didn't go to church. You didn't go to church. Church is the place to where it helps us to connect with him and have a conversation. Isaiah's having a conversation with God. Watch this, verse 5. And I said, so, so God had initiated a conversation with him. Isaiah's responded back. Watch this. Woe is me. Stop right there. Listen. A lot of people, consumerism, capitalism, I just want a church that benefits me. A lot of people say, you know what? I want the wow of worship. I want the wow of church. You put, you put God on exhibit. You display him. Take your best shot. You wow me. There cannot be a wow without a woe. Woe comes first, then comes a wow. See, that's what happened. To, see, a lot of people, they want it backwards. You wow me, then I'm in. God says, no. It is about experiencing me. It is about you getting real with your life and your sin and, and, and your struggle and your desperation for him. It's what happened with Isaiah. Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the king manifested presence of God, the Lord of hosts. Listen, I'm telling you, you read those words, you understand. Isaiah is about ready to come apart at the seams. That ever happened to you in a worship service? That ever happened to you? It just feels like I am about ready to come undone. That's Isaiah. Isaiah's like, woe is me. God is holy. He's perfect. He's high and lifted up. It is not about him submitting to me. It is about me submitting to him. Evidence of the manifested presence of God in church is not when people do a bunch of weird stuff and it kind of gets crazy and out of control and all that stuff. When God shows up in a church, manifested presence of God is this. When people begin to get right with him, they begin to confess sins and things that are, are, are wrong in their life. And things. in verse 80 goes on, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, watch this, here's a third step. Whom shall I send and who will go with us, for us? That's what God said. So they're having this conversation. You know what Isaiah says? Here am I, send me. Okay. For church to happen, for church to happen in your life, three things have to be a part of that. There has to be a connection. You have to make a connection with God. You have to connect with God at a deep level. Second thing is this. There has to be a conversation. God communicates to you. You communicate back to God. The third thing is this. There has to be a commitment. This is where I lose a lot of Christians. This is where a lot of people bail on the response. See, Isaiah, immediate. That's why I talk so much about next steps. What is your next step? Everybody has a next step. A lot of people say, you know what, God, I know you have a next step for me. I'll take it in about a year. I'll take it in about five years. I'll take it when I get my life straight, when I clean up. Listen, Isaiah was a wreck. And a lot of people say, you know what, I, I know you want me to take a next step. I know you want me to make a, a, a response. But I'll do that when it works. I'll do that when it's like, convenient 
And church is when God speaks, we respond and we make a, make a commitment. Every week, I'm telling you, I pray every week for all four services, and God, would you show up in such a way where people know you're here. And people would have a connection to you, a conversation with you, and they would respond to you. Listen, I, I, in, I invite people all the time to come to our church. I don't invite people to come and hear me preach, hear me speak. I come, I invite people to come to this church so they would experience God. When we put a priority on Jesus Christ and the presence of God, you'll have people say, I can't, oh man, I can't miss church today. I am meeting with God. It, 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 sometimes I just think it's so crazy. I'll, I'll talk to people out in the foyer, in the halls, and they'll say, man, church was like really, really good today. And just think, I almost missed it. I'm like, seriously? Like you wake up on Sunday morning and flip a coin to decide whether you're going to go or not? To where you just decide, you know what, I'll go to church if we don't have anything else better to do. That's when I go to church. There's like no priority in that. I'll just kind of leave it to the flip of a coin and I'll decide. When people understand that the priority is Jesus Christ and his manifested presence and God showing up and we're going to meet with him and he's going to connect with us, he's going to communicate to us, then all of a sudden you have people say, I can't miss church today. I mean, I think of the times in church services when God spoke to me or, or helped me understand something. It like changed my life. And I think, what would happen if I missed church that day? What would happen if I decided, you know, flip a coin that day and didn't go? I'm telling you. When people begin to respond to him, take the next step, that's church that reaches city. Verse 2, Revelation chapter 2 Jesus goes on and says, I know your works, your toil, and your, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you're enduring patiently and bearing up for uh, my namesakes, and you have not grown weary. So he's, Jesus is going, great, okay? So you know how you give them the good stuff first, and then you give them the bad stuff. Jesus give them the good stuff. Jesus said, great, uh, you're working hard, you're patient, you're enduring through some difficult things. But he says, but I still got a problem with you. And watch this, verse 4. But, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned your first love, the love that you had at first. In other words, Jesus no longer priority in their life. Jesus no longer priority in their family. Jesus no longer priority in the church. And as a result of that, what Jesus says, everything else in your life is suffering. Because when we lift Jesus up and we make Jesus our priority, then, then, then all of a sudden we have his presence and he speaks with us. And so the priority is Jesus. Listen, let me tell you something. In your personal life, if you don't put a priority on Jesus, you may do a lot of great stuff, but it won't matter because you haven't done the, the, the most important thing first. In church... A church can accomplish a lot of great things and do a lot of great things. But if they haven't put a priority on Jesus, then they've missed the most important thing. And so he goes on, verse 5, and he says, Remember, therefore, wherever you have fallen and repent and do the things you did at first. And in other words, he said, Remember when you first met me? Remember when you used to be involved in ministry? Remember you used to serve? Remember, I used to be a priority. It didn't matter your schedule. It didn't matter your life. I was like a priority in your life, and I was a priority in your church. Remember where you have fallen and repent and do the things you, what? Do the things you did at first. And if not, I will come to you and I'll remove, I'll remove your lampstand. 
I'll remove your, my blessing from your church. I'll remove my blessing from your family, your life, from its place. In other words, you've done a great work and you're doing some good things, but guess what? You're not making me a priority. And I'm telling you, when a church puts a priority on Jesus Christ, and as a great church, what he says is what marks a great church is a priority of Christ. But, but if you fail to put a priority on Christ and his manifested presence in your life, you fail in the most important thing. And God says, the goal of the local church of Jesus Christ is not to win a popularity contest. I don't think I'll ever win one. Sadly, what's happened in America today the church is called to transform the world, but the world is now transforming the church. And the church's values are becoming the world's values. And the church is beginning to change their values to line up with the world. So nobody criticizes them and nobody uh, complains about them and nobody says they're unloving. But we are called to be of this world but not in this world. Or to be in this world and not of this world. And we are called to transform the world and not the world transform us. And Jesus being a part or being our priority is the greatest thing of a church. And that's why today we're going to close this service with, with communion. If you're one of our servers, you can make your way to the back as we prepare the, the elements and to take communion as a, as a church family. Scripture says this. Scripture says, before we take of the bread and we take of the juice, that we're to examine our lives and, and see where we are with him. In other words, what Scripture says is make sure there's a connection, make sure there was a conversation, and then whatever he tells us to do, however he tells us to respond, we're just willing to respond.